Hello and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where we've been dead the whole time. I'm Sarah. And I'm Bruce Will. I mean Emily. No one made that noise in Sixth Sense, right? I mean, maybe Tony Collette did between takes, but <laughs> I don't want to brag, but I think that was our dumbest cold open ever. Um, I don't know if you remember season one where we just made fart noises. I mean, that one's pretty good, too. But this is pretty dumb. I will give you there's that. A, there's a dignity to fart noises that was not present in this cold open that I've written. There's a dignity to fart noises. Well, mark that down as our poll quote. It's not going to get much better than that. What are we talking about? Emily, we're talking about ghost towns. Uh, Is that towns that are dead and haunting or towns that have ghosts? It is a town that has died. And, you know, I was trying to make a joke about like a literal ghost town where it's the ghost of a town. Ghost town, the town that haunts people. <laughs> yes. Uh, n- well, there are some ghosties. Oh, good. Because I can't not have some ghosties. You're, you're not just going to read us a list of towns that no one lives in anymore? <laughs> That's this whole episode. Actually, I'm just going to pull up the list in Wikipedia of a list of ghost towns, and I'm going to just read it. I, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I know we went to a ghost town on a trip through Oregon. I do not remember which one. There are several. The Wikipedia list, and this is probably just because it's a Western-focused um, yeah. source, but, like, well, they have, like, lists of ghost town by countries, and then you get into, like, United States and this list of ghost towns by state, and then they each have their own page. <laughs> there are a lot of ghost yeah. towns in the U.S. I feel like it's not a, uh, like, a thing that comes up very often outside of the the west like the western northern kind of part of the United States because we had the gold rush and things were a little less permanent yeah there's a lot of those on this list not well, and I and I honestly like I tried to pick some variety both like geographically and like for the reason why they became ghost towns but turns out most ghost towns are because mining in some way shape or form. So we're going to talk a lot about yeah, mine. Yeah, that's kind today. of. Uh, so source shout out. I did my usual thing. Um, I cobbled together a list from a ton of different sources. Atlas Obscura was kind of my go-to. They have an article on just about every town I'm going to talk about. So if you're really interested okay. and like want to see pictures, that's a great place. Great source. Like if you just search Atlas Obscura Ghost Town, they have like a tag in just pages and pages. So. Well, that's fun. If you're really nuts about it, that's a place to go. I am nuts about ghost towns. (laughs) So, Emily, what is a ghost town anyway? It's a town that people don't live in anymore. Yeah. End of episode. (laughs) (laughs) I did write an explainer just in case there's, God, none of our listeners, but just in case anyone doesn't know. Um, For anyone who's unfamiliar, it is an abandoned village, town, or city uh, more specifically, any abandoned settlement with some form of visible remains. So empty buildings and roads for ghosts to drive on. 
It's been a week. I'm very punchy. Uh, so the reasons a whole town might be abandoned, abandoned can vary. Uh, economic, of course, you see this a lot with, like I said, mining towns. Um, other settlements that would have sprung up around a specific resource or an economic driver. So like a mill or a resort. Uh, they are everywhere in the American West. Boom towns would appear with every gold and silver rush, only for everyone to leave as soon as the mine they were built around was depleted. Yeah, Americans were good at that kind of <sighs> yeah. like, oh, we don't, we don't want this anymore. Just leave it. Like, oh, we're leave. we're bored. We're gonna go to that other town where there's also apparently some gold, and then do the same thing there. Especially rich people from the East Coast who came over here and fucked up all of our shit. <laughs> yeah, they do that. Uh, reasons can also be political. Ghost towns can be the result of war or invasion or the collapse of a nation or an empire. Uh, uh, government. Curiosity is mm-hmm. the town that. Uh... Oh, shit. There was that big show that they did on HBO that everyone loved with the nuclear reactor. Chernobyl? <laughs> yeah. Is that technically a ghost town? Yes. It's okay. not on the list because it's just a big one. It's 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 like, its own episode. Everyone so, kinda knows. Yeah. Um yeah, that okay. whole area is also okay. now abandoned. Well, there's a good example if anyone <laughs> still didn't get it. Uh ghost towns can be the result of government intervention when um government expropriates land for a project or claim on, or makes a claim under eminent domain. They can just kind of forcibly relocate entire towns so people move away but the physical infrastructure remains. Um, they sometimes like when a dam goes up and the water needs somewhere to go, they need a reservoir. They'll sometimes flood entire towns and leave them underwater. Oh, wow. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Creepy. Interesting. Uh, changing infrastructure. So like many ghost towns, at least in the U S were built along route 66. And then after the interstate system was built and drivers began to use faster highways, like those towns kind of died off and were abandoned. Oh, yeah. Um, this also happened, um, Back in the railroad days, when they stopped service to a town there, they are like tracks were rerouted. Once the railroad doesn't go through there anymore, no one's coming along. I mean, that's what almost happened to Radiator Springs in the movie Cars, is that uh, it was built on Route 66, and then they built the interstate and people stopped going there. Yes, the documentary Cars. Yes. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, disasters, both natural and man-made. Uh, this, the, the Chernobyl one, so... A flood yeah. or a landslide or a nuclear meltdown uh, can sometimes result in ghost towns, as can disease by wiping out the population or environmental contamination, uh, literally making the land the town is built on uninhabitable. Like Silent Hill. Yes. Speaking of Silent Hill, that's a wonderful segue because my first ghost town um, is Centralia, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. The one that... Um that uh, Silent Hill is based on. Yes, exactly. Uh, so Centralia, Pennsylvania is probably one of the country's best known ghost towns. And again, honestly, I'm sure most of our listeners have heard of this one, but it's interesting. So I'm going to cover it anyway. Deal yeah, with it. suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> so Centralia was once home to 2,700 people. Uh, it sits above an abandoned coal line mine that's been on fire since 1962. <laughs> that's a... Oh, God, I forgot it's been that long. Yeah. Uh, no one's really sure what exactly caused the fire. Uh, there's been some speculation it was started at the landfill, which in 1962 was just an old pit mine that everybody dumped their trash into. Well, I can tell you why it's still on fire now. Uh, coal. That'll do it. Uh, so in May of that year, so the city council proposed cleaning up the landfill in time for the town's Memorial Day festivities, which because it was the 60s, 
meant setting all the trash on fire. Of course. Uh, and this fire reignited one of the coal seams beneath the town, uh, eventually spreading into old mine tunnels. Uh, there were attempts to put it out, but none that were successful because there's just there's so many abandoned mine tunnels beneath the town that they can't figure out exactly what is on fire yeah, I guess in order to put to it out. Yeah. Hope that it fixes itself. And uh, it's been like 50 years. Uh, so the local mines were still in operation at that point. They were closed because carbon monoxide levels grew unsafe. Um, but it kind of seemed like the town just sort of lived with it for a couple of decades. Uh, even as the fire like started burning hotter and hotter. It wasn't until the late 70s that people began to understand just how dire the problem really was. Um, some residents started to report health problems and their homes were tilting. Uh, and it's believed, this is grim, uh, that graves in the town's two cemeteries were kind of just dropping off into the fire. I mean, natural cremation. Just think about that, though, for a little bit. Like, there's a big fire underground and the ground is dropping into the fire. Yeah, I mean, that seems like something you'd want to move away from. Yeah, so most dramatically, um, sinkholes began to form. And in 1981, a 12-year-old boy named Todd Domboski was nearly killed when a four-foot sinkhole suddenly opened up beneath his feet as he was walking across his backyard. Excuse me? Uh-huh. Uh, he did live. Uh, Todd's cousin managed to pull him out of the hole and save his life, but the incident brought nationwide attention to the fire in Centralia. Uh, most residents were relocated in 1984, and in 1992, the, uh, the state invoked eminent domain and condemned all the buildings in town. I am surprised that wasn't, like, national news every day since it caught fire. Well, the 60s. <laughs> I'm honestly, like, as I was reading about this, like, there are other, like, this one's the biggest one, but, like, old coal mines being perpetually on fire are not, like, this isn't the only one. Is that just, like, a thing that we dealt with? Yeah, I guess. So this surprisingly was a controversial move as there was still some debate among residents in town as to whether or not the fire actually posed a danger to anyone. I would say it did. Sinkholes aside, uh, some resisted the state's efforts to relocate them um, all the way up to 2013. when the Probably remaining... just some old fucking man in his cabin that's like, I've been here since I was born. I am not leaving. I don't know why he would sound like that in Pennsylvania. I will say there's a couple on this list, and yeah, that's usually what it is. Uh, so in 2013, um, the remaining residents settled a lawsuit that would allow them to keep their homes and stay in Centralia for the remainder of their lives uh, on the condition they cannot sell or pass down their property. Um, and as of 2017, there are still five people living in Centralia. No idea what the number is now. All right, we're going to Google Earth this. <laughs> Uh, so these days, besides cemeteries and a handful of houses, there's not much left to see. By all indications, the fire is still burning. Even today, you can see smoke billowing from vents and cracks in the grounds throughout the area, and signs around town warn of dangerous levels of carbon monoxide. The fire is expected to burn itself out in another 250 years or so. Hi, I can do street view. <laughs> I can do street view of this. Yeah, go drive around that creepy ass Silent Hill motherfucker. Yep, uh, Sean Bean is definitely still trapped here. Oh, it's very smoky. Go figure. Yeah, it's because it's on fire. It's probably on account of all the fire. <laughs> it, this is just a guess, but it, it might be the fire. Oh, wow, they have three cemeteries for a town this small. I don't know, seems like a nice enough place other than the uh, 
inferno underneath it. Yeah, other than that part. Oh, let's check out their municipal building. I bet it, I bet it's cool. Well, it looks like two rooms and a place for, ironically, fire trucks. <laughs> on no Locust, longer needed. On Locust Avenue. <laughs> anyway, so that's fun. Yeah. I can't imagine being the the Google Maps person who had to having to drive through Centralia. Ooh, no thanks. It's like, why didn't they just fire me? So our list today, I will say, um, I've done five US ghost towns in ten ghost towns international. (laughs) That's my favorite show on the Discovery Channel, Ghost Towns International. So our next uh, US ghost town is Bodie, California. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. Bodie was a former gold town mine in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, uh, officially founded in 1876. Prospectors flocked to the town at such a rate, nearly two dozen a day, that by the end of the decade, it had nearly 10,000 residents, which is respectable. I mean, that's bigger than the town I grew up in. Yeah, it's it's a little bit bigger than the town I grew up in. Uh, In its heyday, Bodie earned a reputation as a sea of sin, which... (laughs) No wonder everybody wanted to go there. Uh, the town boasted plenty of saloons, a red light district, and maybe probably a couple of opium dens. Because it's the 1800s. Hooray. Um, looking at this on uh, Google Maps, and I'm pretty sure this is the ghost town from the first episode of Monster Pod. <laughs> <laughs> this also wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Uh, so by the 1880s, the town had outgrown its meager infrastructure, uh, and after a few particularly harsh winters, the prospectors would move on to other, more profitable gold mines. The town experienced a slow decline that lasted into the 20th century. Uh, it was described as a ghost town as early as 1915, uh, and after its post office closed in 1942, the remaining residents finally shipped out. Tourists today can visit Bodie as part of the Bodie State Historic Park. There's still a hundred, uh, about 110 buildings standing, more or less in the same condition that they were when the final residents left, um, which is kind of the spooky part where their interiors are unchanged and even some like stores and restaurants are still stocked with like food and stuff. Uh, Not good food, ew. but yeah. <laughs> Throughout the park, you can still find small shards of china plates or nails or the occasional bottle. Uh, do not remove these items because it is against park rules and also you'll get a curse. Oh, my God. I'm looking at one of the storefronts and there's like a bunch of shit still in there. Mm hmm. Uh, Supposedly, bad luck will befall anyone who removes an artifact from the site. Um, There's a park ranger who said he'd get something in the mail a couple of times every like month, usually an old nail or a piece of glass in a letter apologizing for the theft. (laughs) So get a goddamn episode of (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Those meddling, I don't know. Tourists tourists uh let's see another former mining town there's so many there's just so much mining. again it's just the american thing like mm, we're done with this, this what now. we Bye. did this one is saint elmo in colorado uh number nearly 2,000 residents at its peak mostly prospectors looking for gold and silver um in the over 150 different mining claims within the area uh the most profitable local local mine known as the mary murphy mine produced over $60 million in gold while it was in operation. Uh, Then in 1922, the railroad discontinued service to St. Elmo, and nearly all the local mines closed, including Mary Murphy. Um, By that time, the town had already kind of started to dwindle. By 1930, there were only seven people left. Uh, This (laughs) town is now privately owned and operated as a tourist attraction, uh, but unlike most tourist traps, this one has actual ghosts. Allegedly. I'm sure it does. I'm sure. (laughs) Please tell me. Uh, so we're going to take a sharp detour into Buhaha territory. 
Oh no! Um, because paperwork filed for that. <laughs> because Shana McCohen from uh, Three Hundred Three Magazine, she did a write up on the hauntings in Saint Elmo, and I can't improve on it. Oh no! So we're just gonna read it word for word. Oh no! Oh, let me get a drink of water. <laughs> oh no! I'm not gonna do a voice. I just uh, the most famous ghost of Saint Elmo is Annabelle, Dirty Annie Stark. Annabelle is the descendant of Anton and Anna Stark, who arrived in St. Elmo with Pacific Railroad in 1881. Anton was a section boss in the mines, while Anna ran the Home Comfort Hotel located on Poplar Street and the General Store. Both structures are still standing today. Anna Stark was known as a cruel and harsh woman who never allowed her three children, Roy, Tony, and Annabelle, out into the town to mingle or work alongside what she deemed the simple town folk. Annabelle grew up attractive and passionate for the town, and her love of St. Elmo was fierce. After the death of her mother, Annabelle and Tony inherited the hotel, and the once impeccably clean establishment fell into shambles. Along with the decline of the town, Annabelle began to lose her grasp on reality. The town soon called her Dirty Annie. She would also come out in filthy clothing and her hair in a tangled mess. Okay, that's not where I thought that nickname was going to come from, and honestly... (laughs) I mean, it's better than the alternative... What is the alternative? I don't... Well, think dirty. I don't know. It doesn't look like there's a, a brothel still standing. So no. there goes my theory. <laughs> uh, so finally, free of the harsh rule of her mother, most assume this was her quiet rebellion. Residents remember her strolling the main street with her shotgun loaded and hung over one shoulder, ready to protect the town from anyone who dared to threaten it. Uh, <laughs> since her death, it is told she can still be found roaming the streets. I mean, she's probably mad because people still call her Dirty Annie. I mean, that would make me a little bitter. I would also haunt <laughs> whatever locale I happen to die in. Uh, so only a short while after Annabelle had passed away, the hotel was left to a family friend whose grandchildren were playing inside the hotel. Suddenly, all of the doors slammed shut and the temperature dropped 20 degrees. The children cried and screamed, and finally, the room returned to the outside temperature and the door, releasing slowly, swung open. I'm sure it did. Sounds totally real. Mm, Definitely. And the thermometer that I'm sure they were all carrying would confirm the temperature drop. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 20 degrees on the nose. Yes, exactly 20 degrees. It's weird. Uh, a woman skiing down Poplar Street at dusk was struck by a peculiar peculiar sight of a lovely-looking woman in a long white gown glaring out of the second-story window of the Home Comfort Hotel. Did the you scary- say skiing? Skiing. Cross-country skiing. That doesn't answer the question anymore. You don't just, just like, ski? It's like a tourist place. But you can ski through it? Yeah. What else are you going to do in the winter? I don't know. Walk? You oh oh right you don't live in a winter place, no. People just ski sometimes. Uh, uh, okay. People will ski down the street in Minneapolis in the winter. Well, that you guys are weird. Yeah, we're winter people. <laughs> Didn't make it sound like you live in Arendelle. Like <laughs> we're winter folk, Emily. Actually, the people in Minneapolis are directly descended from the people of Arendelle. Yes, correct. Uh, The scare was shocked. She knew the owner of the hotel was on vacation and that no one was supposed to be inside. As she turned to see what the woman was eyeing, she noticed snowmobiles approaching. Snowmobiling (laughs) is illegal in St. Elmo, so the scare went and advised the group, who promptly apologized and went on their way. When she turned back to look at the hotel, the woman in the window, still watching, lowered her head, nodded at the woman, turned, and vanished before her eyes. 
<laughs> Curious and in disbelief, the skier went to the next went back the next day to find every window and door were locked. Yeah, everyone knows dirty and he loves a snitch. When the owner of the hotel returned, the two women searched the property with nothing to be found. End of story. I, I like how she is face to face with uh like an ethereal being, and then she hears engines and she's like, Hold on Hold one second. Thought. I gotta go be a killjoy. <laughs> And the ghost is just be like, right I, back. There are people having that. fun. <laughs> I can't have that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good for Annie. Good for Annie. Good. Uh, someone's got to stop snowmobilers, I guess. Die in her best death, I guess. So our next one, uh, Cahaba, Alabama. How Cahaba. do you spell that? Cahaba, C-A-H-A-W-B-A. So Cahaba Stern. Wow. Cahaba served as Alabama's state capital from 1820 to 1826, a decision that almost everybody immediately regretted. Uh, turns out building your state capital where two rivers meet isn't a great idea, even though that's where St. Paul is, but forget it. I mean, is it just because it's like not as defensible or? After years of seasonal flooding. Ah, nope, that's it. Okay. <laughs> in a very mosquito-heavy part of the country, uh, the state legislature decided they didn't want to meet there anymore. <laughs> they moved the capital to Tuscaloosa instead. This was Which also is temporary. To but uh, It wasn't quite over for Cahaba. Um, it remained the county seat for a little while, and with the help of the cotton trade and, you know, slavery, remained a viable social and commercial center. I am not finding this on the map like to do a little walkthrough oh because it doesn't exist anymore Emily. it's a ghost town <laughs> well i mean the other ones i could walk through during the civil war the town was the site of a prison for union soldiers but after the end of the war another and another devastating flood in 1865 the dallas county seat was moved to selma and most of most of its wealthy white residents began to move elsewhere uh, for a time after the war, it was a popular spot for former slaves to settle. But within 10 years, uh, many of the houses and church had been dismantled and moved away. Uh, by, the by the turn of the century, the town was effectively abandoned. Uh, now it's mostly in ruins. What remains, streets, cemeteries, a couple of buildings, is managed by the Al Alabama Historical Commission and known as Old Cahaba Archaeological... Archaeological... Wow, Emily. Oh, my God. Archaeological. 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 Wow. Cut all that out. I don't, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Old Cahaba Archaeological Park. There. I said the thing. I mean, eventually, yeah. Maybe if you search for that, you can find a street view or pictures. I mean, I found the cemetery. There is like, nothing here. You can also just like Google pictures. It's like a house. They also don't have streets. Like there are streets, but it's like old timey streets. I don't think you can drive on them. Yeah, it's very limited as far as my little walkthrough goes. Are there any ghosts there? Probably. Oh, yeah, there is. Um, There was one I didn't really write into the notes because it was kind of a dumb story. There's like an old house where a garden maze used to be. And one time, like a couple was walking through and they saw an old spooky light. Oh, well. And that was it. <laughs> that was for All right. So this one time, these old people saw a light. <laughs> there was a spooky light. Yeah, I say it wasn't even boo -ha -ha worthy. <laughs> Our last American ghost town is Pitcher, Oklahoma. Uh, Pitcher also, as every other town on this list, was once a booming mining town uh, and home to nearly 20,000 people. Uh, today is considered one of the most toxic places in America, probably because of all the mining. And all the masculinity. Uh, uh, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Seriously, if there's one thing compiling this list has really drilled in, it's that mining is like bad for the environment and almost never works out for anybody. Yeah, I mean, very few stories about happy miners. Yeah, I mean, the mining companies usually come out okay. Oh, this place is a shithole. Yeah. Uh, so Pitcher is dead center in the middle of the Tar Creek area, um, which is a super fun site that covers 40 square miles of Kansas, Missouri, and northeastern Oklahoma. The best uh, states. Yeah. At its peak, Pitcher was one of the most productive lead-zinc mining fields in the region. It produced over half the lead used to make the bullets that were fired during the First World War. Ooh. I'm assuming the bullets fired by, like, us, not, like, Well, no, everybody. I was just thinking um, just straight lead. That, <laughs> is yeah. that a statue of a gorilla? Probably. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> All that mining, of course, creates waste, and that waste needs to go somewhere. In this case, uh, tons of mil- tons of piles of what was known as chat was just left around the city. Ugh, people. <laughs> so chat piles, as it turns out, are highly toxic. Uh, but no one knew that at the time. Kids would ride their bikes up and down the chat piles and... Some parents even used it to fill their children's sandboxes, which is well. Cool. I cannot see what you're about to say ending well. Mm, no. Uh, in the decades after World War II, the mining companies began to pull out of picture, and by 1967, all mining had ceased, uh, leaving the groundwater contaminated and the land prone to sinkholes. Uh, in 1980, the area was designated a Superfund site by the EPA, and in 1996, a study found that. 34% of the children in Pitcher suffered from lead poisoning. Oh. Yeah. Love stories about lead poisoned children. Uh, the EPA in the state of Oklahoma eventually agreed to a mandatory evacuation and buyout of the entire township. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a... What the fuck? Uh, so... I got curious as I was listening. I was like, hmm, I wonder if you can like walk through Golden, Oregon on Google Maps, which is one of our better known ghost towns. And I dropped the pin and it put me in a church. <laughs> I think Google Maps is trying to tell you something, Emily. Like a creepy wooden church. And now I'm in a schoolhouse. Anyway, visit Golden, Oregon. It's creepy. <laughs> So lead poisoning. Children had lead poisoning. This is lots of lots and lots of lead poisoning. Uh, pitchers would slowly be abandoned over the next two decades, but after an E4 tornado hit the area in May 2008, the population plummeted. Not surprisingly. It took a tornado. It wasn't the lead poisoning. The tornado is what cleared it out? Yeah. Because uh, the high school, still in operation, held its last graduation in May 2009. Uh, the city office finally closed the following September. Uh, eventually, the entire town will be bulldozed to the ground, a process that began in 2011. Uh, so the town's last resident, a pharmacist named Gary Linderman, um, who had vowed he would stay until everyone else had left, Died on June 9th, 2015, finally bringing Pitcher's official population down to zero. God, imagine being that holdout. Yeah. Lots of lead. <laughs> well, that's, that's America. That's a sad one. That isn't even like a fun, like... Get ready. Because we have 10 more and they're all also pretty sad. Not that sad. That, that was kind of the one that put me over. But... To be fair, you did warn me. I did. Um, and I guess this one isn't that much better. Our next one is Belkite, Spain. So Belkite in the northern part of Spain was the site of a particularly brutal battle during the Spanish Civil War. So starting off on a positive note. Uh, that was a while ago. 
right? Like, like 30s. Okay. Because yeah. that's when Pan's Labyrinth was set, which yes. is a touchstone everybody should be able to follow. Well, actually, that's how I'm going to like describe this, because um, initially controlled by the fascist national nationalist army, which was the bad guys in Pan's Labyrinth and the world. Um, that, so that was led by General Francisco Franco. The town came under siege by the Republican army, which was an alliance of the Spanish Republican government and an alliance of anarchists, socialists, communists, all the cool guys. So the the bad guys were the girl in Pan's Labyrinth stepdad and the good guys yes. were um all of those people that died at the end yes <laughs> it's it, and it's exactly that simple emily yep uh the siege itself lasted from august 24th to september 7th 1937 and when it was over the republican army had taken the city at the cost of most of the city Belkite by that point was little more than a pile of rubble, but the nationalist forces retook it anyway about a year later. Franco decided he wasn't going to demolish the ruins and left it as a monument to war, which was less about memorializing the dead and more about reminding everyone of how capriciously destructive he could be. So, so. um, question. Uh-huh. Uh, that was a long siege. Do they take the knights off or is it just fighting constantly for however long? I think it depends siege to siege. Okay, it's a siege I think there's specific. like long parts of sieges where you're just kind of waiting the other person out. Yeah, that's what I was wondering cuz like you can't be fighting that whole time. Like no, it's generally you have the city surrounded so no one can leave. But they're usually like I'm thinking like castle siege warfare where you're like behind some thick walls. So like you p- can't get in, but you can keep the people from getting out. And they well, have also to wonder that about like constantly defend it. I know a lot about some stuff, but I know nothing about like wars and how they're operated. But like you have your two armies show up and then like, we're going to go to battle tomorrow morning. Like who sets the plans? Who has the planner? <laughs> That would be an interesting subject for an episode, Emily. I honestly have no idea. And I also feel like it isn't relevant anymore because we don't fight wars that way. <laughs> no. I could I could get a good insight on, like, modern wars, but it's just going to depress everybody. Yeah. That sounds depressing. Let's not do an episode on the war. Just old wars. Uh, so anyway, a new town of Balkite was built adjacent to the ruins, uh, but it wasn't completed until 1954, which meant... Whatever residents were left there had to kind of just live in the ruined city. I mean, that for a little could be while. Fun. Uh, uh. Like an Aladdin vibe. <laughs> the ruins do still stand to stand today, more or less unchanged since 1939, and uh, they look pretty cool. I'm a big fan of ruins in general. I mean, yeah. So, someday I'll get to Spain and check those out. Our next ghost town is Colmenskap, Namibia. What? Yeah. How do you spell all of the words you just said? <laughs> K-O-L-M-A-N-S-K-A-P. Ah. Yes, I've definitely heard of this place in the desert of a place. Uh, in 1908, a railway worker named Zacharias Lawala picked up a particularly shiny stone and showed it to his supervisor, the first diamond discovered in the region. The uh. diamonds were so plentiful, in fact, that they could be picked up right off the ground, and over 2,000 pounds of them would be sifted from the sand in the, ne- in the years before the First World War. You know, not for nothing, I thought the name of this country was Nambia. You know, it might be. Did I write? No, there's an extra I in Namibia? there. Namibia, yeah. 
God, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, people actually tell me, please. This is the time we need you to write in. <laughs> I would love to be corrected on that. Uh, anyway, uh, people flocked to the area in town, later named Kolmanskop, um, was constructed. The town, which was German-influenced because colonialism, boasted uh, yes. ballrooms, casinos, ice factories, and the first x-ray machine in the Southern Hemisphere. Eventually, tale is oldest time, the price of diamonds dropped, and bigger stones were discovered somewhere else, and everyone picked up and left. Uh, the town was abandoned by 1956, and it's since been overtaken by the desert, with many of the empty houses now filled almost entirely with sand. Yeah, this place creepy. It looks really cool. And, I mean, this goes for all of them, but I would encourage you to Google pictures, and we'll put pictures up on Instagram and stuff of all these yeah, places. For most of them, I have been able to drop in on uh, Google Maps. Yeah. Um, you well. can kind of take a an abridged walking tour. Yeah, they're all that. kind of big touristy kind of places. This one's the cool because, like, the buildings are very, like, they're a little fancy. Yeah. And they're yeah. filled with sand. It's oh very this, aesthetic. Hashtag this one just dropped Instagram. me in the middle of a fucking building that is, uh, it's filled with sand. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is scary. Yeah, you can just drop right into some of these buildings. And uh, this one's, like, you can't even get in. The sand is up to the doors. Mm-hmm. How did they get in? Well, Emily, is the Google Maps man still trapped there? No, I, I, well, this is horrifying because um, this town, like, it isn't a Google Maps thing. It's uh, people who have taken, like, pictures. And I, like, went to look at the, the ground and there's just, like, a quarter of someone's bare foot Ugh. from the picture compilation. Yeah, that was Emily, horrifying. that's the scariest thing in this whole episode. The quarter of a, a bare foot. foot. Yes. <laughs> um, our next ghost town. Oh, boy, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right. Pyramid in Norway. Oh, hey, Arendelle. P-Y-R-A-M-I-D-E-N. Since I know you'll want to look that up. Uh, so located way up in the Arctic Circle on the island of Svalbard is Pyramiden, a former Soviet coal mining colony that was in operation from 1927 to 1998. Just to give you an idea of how remote this is, to get there now, you need to fly into Longyearbyen, which is Svalbard's longest, largest city. Uh, which is itself a three-hour flight from Oslo. Uh, and then you got to take a day-long boat journey to get to the city. It's up there. You have to really want it. You have to really want to go. Uh, while we're at it, those who've read the His Dark Materials series or even just, like, watch the show will probably recognize Valbard as the island kingdom that's home to Yorick Bernison and all the armored bears. Damn, I really need to watch so that. Because that sentence you just said sounded yeah. fucking amazing. That's my plug for his dark materials. And it didn't even involve Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is selling point. Which should be the number one draw. Anyway, Uh, the settlement had all the usual amenities like workers barracks, sports center, a library and a theater, um, as well as a music hall, which houses the world's northernmost grand piano. Uh, Along with the piano (laughs) and in true Soviet fashion, uh, the town also hosts the northernmost statue of Vladimir Lenin. Well, hot (laughs) damn. Just a fun fact. Uh, this, of course, was all left behind when the mining operation was shuttered in 1998, and the town was abandoned over the course of just a few months. You said this is in Norway? Yeah. So it is it's, so far off the coast of Norway. Yeah. I mean, the land is owned by Norway, but it's like, it's Arctic Circle. It's yeah, way it's up there. it's basically Greenland. Pretty much, yeah. It's estimated that Pyramiden will remain more or less unchanged for upwards of 500 years, t- thanks to the extreme Arctic climate. 
And it's so hard to get to. Anyone who would mess with it's like, ah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing much. I mean, probably some bears. I'm pretty I sure there be are on bears. A boat for a day. Oh, there's almost definitely bears. Oh, you can also snowmobile to get there, which I am assuming will also take you some time. I mean, you can't snowmobile over the sea. Like, you still have to be on a no, boat. No, you'd have to, like, go around. It's kind of like on a harbor. So, like, it'll take you a while. Yeah, it's not attached to anything, like, mainlandy. No. It looks like a beautiful country, though. I don't know. I, I mean, really for permafrost, st- I guess. I don't have strong opinions on Norway. Uh-huh. It's not the fjordy part of Norway. No, the fjordy part of Norway is beautiful. Yeah. This is... Also, yeah. I get to say fjordy. Fjordy. You know, that famous Star Trek character... Georgie Fjordy. <laughs> Did you say Star Wars character? No, I said Star... I might have said Star Wars. I think you... Uh, we're about to play that back. Hold on. I have to edit in uh, Star Trek. There we go. <laughs> Just had to get a clean take of... <laughs> I'm sure their nerds will forgive you if you mix up Star Trek and Star Wars. Man, and I like both of those things. Uh, We need to visit the fjords. The fjords. The Geordie fjords. (laughs) 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 I hate that I think that's so funny. Uh, It's not that funny. I'm just laughing because you're laughing. (laughs) You know, Travis does that a lot. (laughs) Like, I'll just start giggling, and he won't know what it's about, but 99.9% of the time in the last, like, two months, it's been me thinking about that scene in Frozen 2 where Olaf is calling for Anna and Elsa, and he's like, Samantha? I don't even know a Samantha. Um, spoilers for Frozen 2. Oh, it's, they even have him calling out Samantha at the beginning of his song on the soundtrack. Welcome to Frozen Talk. All right, next quote. Next down. The anatomy of Olaf. Ah, Kyoko. Oh, Emily, why did I do this? Uh, Kyakoi, Turkey. Uh, so originally built in the 1700s, the town of Kayakoi, Turkey, uh, known as Carmelasos by its inhabitants, was home to as many as 20,000 Greek Orthodox residents by the early 20th century. And how do you spell that? Uh, K-I, no, K-A, Kayak, O-Y. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> There's an umlaut over the O for everyone who's yeah. trying to find this. Oh, uh, this life looks un- like it's still a town. I think parts of it are, and then some of it way up in the hills is not so much. So it's like a vampire town. Like, yes. it's still kind of alive. It's an undead town. It's an undead town. Uh, life under the Ottoman Empire had been relatively peaceful for most of the town's existence until World War One and the rise of nationalism came along to ruin everything. Weird. Uh, there's massacres of Greeks and other Christian minorities during this time, um, and that led to the almost total depopulation of the town by 1918. Those that remained were forcibly repatriated to Greece after the end of the Greco-Turkish War in 1923. Uh, so the treaty that required the Greek Orthodox residents to leave Turkey also required Greece's Muslim Turkish-speaking population to return to Turkey. Uh, Sakayakai, along with many of the other empty Greek Christian towns, were used to rehome this population. Uh, but Muslims exiled from Greece, who were mostly farmers, found this land not great. I mean, it's mountain. I don't think it was great farming land. It's fine. Like, lots of hills. Aesthetically, yeah. But, like, you can't really plow it i don't know um soon they had also picked up and left plow it you find a way no you leave which is what they did 
uh, leaving the village abandoned a second time. Uh, the remains of the town, which include about 350 homes and two Greek Orthodox churches, has been preserved as a historical site. And also looks very hashtag aesthetic. Let's see what the uh, restaurant scene is like here. Well, that's that's just a tent outdoors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks pretty. It, I mean, it's it hilly. Me, and It reminds me of some of the, uh, the landscape in... Um, uh that game assassin's creed uh odyssey which takes place in greece but uh it, fact remains it's hills and grass and shit like it all looks the same having never played this game i'll just have to take your word for it it's fun get to hit stuff with swords be a be a big buff lady that's all you can ask for it really is <laughs> okay it's- i'm sorry finish Oh, no, I was just going to say it's thematically the opposite of, like, Luigi's Mansion, which is a tiny, scared <laughs> man. You, uh, you were saying on topic? Both? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Get you someone who's a Luigi in the streets and a... I can't remember the name of the lady from Assassin's Creed in the... Whatever the Greeks had for sheets. Clearly some memorable branding. It was, like, Cassandra or something. Whatever. You were saying about the thing we were actually talking about... We got another city. Oh, good. <laughs> we got like a lot. Um, <laughs> this one is called Panam Nagar and it's in Bangladesh. Um, so Panam Nagar, once the Bengali capital, was home to a thriving textile trade and in the 19th century, the permanent offices of the East India, Co- India Company. Oh, the Jack Sparrow one. Yeah. I feel okay. like they're an episode in and of themselves, but. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm not really interested in history of a large, terrible corporation, so. <laughs> <laughs> they were like the Enron of the, you know. Of the old timey days. Yeah. Uh, So at least it was a thriving city until it was burned to the ground by devastating fire. Uh, You know, because it's full of cloth. It happens. It does. Uh, Abandoned by the Hindu merchants that had once traded there, the city has been left empty for decades. And it is, of course, rumored to be haunted. Uh, Locals often refer to it as a ghost city or city of the dead. It does look like it's probably haunted. It's definitely haunted. Uh, there are 52 structures still standing in Panam Nagar. Most are two-story buildings likely built for the city's more affluent, resident, affluent residents, given their colonial architecture and the fact that they were built sturdy enough to endure, you know, a lot of fires in Yeah, some I mean, time. they're fancy looking, but they all look like, um, well, they all look like they have dead people in them. Uh, some are said to date back to the 15th century. Most are from the 1800s. That's all I've got on that one. I just thought it looked really cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is cool. It's kind of overtaken by the jungle a little bit. It's neat. Yeah, I'm into it. Our next ghost town is Vailaka Island, which is in Kuwait, uh, about 12 miles off of the mainland, to be precise. People have been living there for literal millennia, or, you know, did. There are ruins of a Mesopotamian civilization on that island that date back to 2000 BC, and archaeological excavations have unearthed tools that are even older, like 3000 BC. Shit. So, like, there's been people on this island for a long time. Uh, until 1990, <laughs> when uh, there were about 2,000 people still living in the area, right up until Iraq invaded Kuwait and started using the island for target practice. <sighs> War is bad, guys. War and mining, they're just bad. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Um, yeah, anyway. I had an inkling. Oh, yeah. Those who didn't leave were forcibly deported back to the mainland. And even once US, the U.S. forced Iraqi troops to surrender in 91, only a handful of residents ever returned. Most of the buildings are abandoned, crumbling, and riddled with bullet holes. And the military occupation on the island is still visible. You can walk it. 
and you'll see like cartridges and bomb bomb casings on the ground and in some cases entire Iraqi tanks just kind of resting in the desert. Yeah, no picking up after themselves. No. Why would they? I don't know. So I do come to one fun story. Have you ever heard of Fordlandia? No. Fordlandia. Uh, This is in Brazil. Do you know about Henry Ford? The automobile guy? I know of him. Designed all those cards? Yeah. He sank $20 million into Fordlandia, which was a massive rubber plantation in the jungles of Brazil that he hoped be a worker's paradise. Nope. I assume this didn't work out for him. Doesn't ever. Uh, The major reason behind Fordlandia was practical. So Ford wanted a steady source of rubber for car car tires and hoses, but he was also... I don't know. He saw like the company town as his chance to bring small town American values to the Amazon, uh, to which which to Ford meant suburban style housing and golf courses. Oh, my God. I and hate doesn't, Americans. Doesn't everybody want that? Uh, the Brazilian workers, there were forced to live what Ford considered a healthy lifestyle. And I put very obvious scare quotes around this, uh, which included attending poetry readings, square dances, and English language only sing-alongs. <sighs> this also meant abstaining from alcohol, which was banned from Fordlandia altogether. Oh yeah, because the people are gonna fucking love that. This makes me think of the Simpsons parody of The Shining where Mr. Burns wants to make uh, wants to make sure like the people taking care of his resort actually do the work so he cuts off the cable and all the beer and then homer goes jack nicholson (laughs) like this is essentially what happened in fordlandia um there were also i mean there was a malaria epidemic um too so morale as you can imagine was devastatingly low there were frequent clashes between the town's brazilian laborers and american managers and when the workers grew tired of the american food in the cafeteria they revolted which I, I would guess. too. Uh, literally, um, they destroyed Fordland- the mess hall, the Fordlandia mess hall with machetes, cut the telegraph wires, pushed the town's trucks into the river, and chased their American managers and even the town's cook into the jungle. To which <laughs> I say, hell yes. Good, <laughs> Good work. Uh, the Brazilian army eventually had to be called in to put an end to the revolt, and agreements were put in place on what type of food the workers would be served. But on top of all this, the rubber trees that Ford had planted, without the help of a botanist, it should be noted, either never grew at all or were taken out by a leaf Nothing blight. Nothing you have said has been surprising. No. He finally sold the land back to the Brazilian go- government in 1945, having never set foot in the city in himself. So good work, Henry Ford. <laughs> Good job. Your cars aren't even that good. No. Well, I mean, maybe not so much 1945, but I feel like when he started, they were kind of the only cars for a little while. Yeah, I mean. Some carter is going to say, well, have you forgotten about the blur to blur blur blur? I don't care. Yes, the uh, Honda blur to blur blur. (laughs) Horrible gas mileage. Our next town, Hashima Island, Japan. I can spell that one. <laughs> uh, this one's also known as Gukunjima or Battleship Island, and it lies about nine miles off the coast of Nagasaki, Japan. Uh, less than one square kilometer in area, the tiny island was once the most densely populated place in the world. This also sounds like hell. <laughs> like, for different reasons than Fordlandia, but it... Oh, I just did the, the idea of being cramped into that much land. 
I uh, so many dropped people. myself into the town again and it put me in a building and it was terrifying. And now you're haunted. Uh, so Hashima was developed by the Mitsubishi Corporation to mine a rich undersea coal deposit. Uh, and by 1945, it was producing 40, 400,000 tons of coal every year. To accommodate the miners, Mitsubishi filled the tiny island with as many concrete 10-story apartment complexes as they could. And by the 1950s, it housed almost 6,000 people. This looks like a nightmare. <laughs> it was, um, especially because not all the miners were there willingly. Oh, good. Yeah. So uh, in the 1930s and through World War II, Japan exploited both Korean civilians and Chinese prisoners of war as forced laborers, slaves, we're going to be honest, uh, um, which is kind of a dark history. Japan has trouble acknowledging even to this day. There's some controversy that I honestly won't get into because it's just a lot. But they should talk to Germany about owning up to some <laughs> <Yeah>. shit. <laughs> Uh, it's estimated that over a thousand workers died on the island between the 1930s and the end of the war, either due to malnutrition, exhaustion, or unsafe working conditions. By 1974, the coal had run out, uh, so Mitsubishi closed the mine, and four months later, everyone had left. Uh, so now, almost 50 years later, the island remains exactly as it was. Travel to the island remained closed until 2009, when it was open to tourism, so you can go visit if you're interested in being haunted forever been doing a little walkthrough and uh it is terrifying guys mm -hmm. that's the one i'm pretty sure no i think it was like in skyfall when they go to the island i don't think it was the actual island they were on but they used it for like an exterior wide shot oh yeah yeah so probably looks familiar it's the one james bond movie i remember <laughs> except for oh god not casino royale the one that the one that wasn't very good but had Daniel Craig in it. Quantum of Solace? That one uh, where they coat the hot lady in oil and I was very sad. Oh, yeah. That was Gemma Argerton, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And that's the reason I purchased the film and she was in it for 10 minutes. And then she died horribly. <laughs> yep. Which... R.I.P. Strawberry Fields. Tracks. Let's be real. Yep. For James Bond films. Okay, anyway. We're going to head over to... Gamina, Romania, which is a quaint little village settled in a picturesque Romanian valley. Uh, and it was a thriving town until 1978 when rich reserves of copper were found in the nearby area. So it's not just us. It's like... That's everybody. Okay. <laughs> uh, copper mining, like all mining, creates huge amounts of toxic waste that you got to get rid of. Uh, and unfortunately for the town of Gamina, the Romanian government decided their little valley was the best place to dump it. So Nikolai Ceausescu, who Atlas Obscura referred to, and I just love this, so I'm going to include it, a communist dictator and Romanian supervillain, uh, he ordered the village to be abandoned and flooded the entire valley. Uh, in, into the new lake went a whole lot of toxic sludge, which has turned the water ungodly neon colors like turquoise and orange. Gamina, like if you want to look, it's G-E-A-M-A-N-A. -A -A. I mean, it's... Very striking. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to date, the town is mostly underwater, save for a church steeple and a few sad little rooftops. The majority of residents did pick up and left for villages not under a poisonous lake. Um, a few particularly stubborn people moved to the edges of the flood area where they continued to live. There's mostly just snow in this uh, 360 picture I found, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. As it's in Romania in winter. 
Oh, hey, yeah. Uh, on uh, Google Street View, you can just see the little church steeple poking up out of the water. Well, that's that's sad. Stop mm-hmm. mining shit. <laughs> and that brings us to our last ghost town. And one last final reminder that mining is bad. <laughs> Wittenoom, a mining north, a mining colony northeast of Perth, Australia. Uh, so the area around this town was mainly farmland till the 1930s when people began to mine the land for. Oh no! Blue asbestos. What is wrong with us? One, I had no idea it was something you could actually mine for. It turns out, like, it's a mineral in a rock. But, hey, you learn something every day. Wittenoom itself was founded in 1947 as a company town. And by the next decade, it was the largest in the region. Um, over 20,000 in its heyday. Didn't last very long. Because in 1966, the mine was shut down due to unprofitability. And, you know, the dawning realization that maybe asbestos, asbestos is, is bad. bad for your lungs and give you cancer or something. <laughs> so, in the years since the mine's closure, more than 300 former workers died from mesothelioma. Uh, the surrounding countryside is still littered with blue asbestos tailings, 3 million tons of it. Uh, and the site is largely considered to be the most contaminated site in the southern hemisphere. Good job, humanity. So, starting in 1978, the Australian government began to, began to phase out Wittenoom, encouraging its residents to voluntarily relocate. They won't. Well, no, if we they know never anything do. about people. <laughs> there was, I think, and part of it was there was some hope they would be able to clean up the site and maybe turn it into a tourist resort, which honestly feels like the worst idea anyone has ever had. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at it, and it's a beautiful, like, area. Yeah, there's, like, a gorge and, like, rivers, and those efforts, they all fizzled out once the government realized it was going to cost a lot of money. Like, they, like, I think they spent 15 years trying to clean it up and then did a feasibility study to see like, okay, but how much do we have left? And they're like, oh no, this is going to take you like another $3 million. Oh, it looks like there's a racetrack. So they have that going for them. Uh, It's now generally accepted that even with an incredibly expensive cleanup, the area will never be safe for human habitation. Never. Well, that's too bad. We've just ruined it for us. Forever. Uh, so Australia moved forward with their um, plans to phase out the town, which was met with the usual resistance from a few stubborn locals who refused to leave. Uh, they've done their best to make the site inaccessible. They've shut off the power grid to the town and began removing its name from road signs and maps. Um, <laughs> I like this whole, it didn't happen. It, it's approach. just not there anymore. <laughs> As of 2018, there were still three residents left in Wittenoom and even they were like, they came, they welcome tourists there. They're like, oh, yeah, and come six in. Six teeth between all of them. Yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> oh, you see, the government is starting to clamp down on all of it. Legislation was introduced in March of 2019 uh, to force the remaining residents off the land. I think that's still ongoing from what I could tell. I couldn't get any updates saying, like, the last person has been moved out. I mean, that makes sense. I'm sure it's ongoing. Do you know but, there's a town in Australia called Tom Price? That sounds right for Australians. It's actually just down the street from, uh, well, the, the highway. Is it also covered in toxic asbestos? I mean, probably by proximity rules. Let's <laughs> say wind. So, uh, in conclusion, don't go there. <laughs> Stop mining. Do we really need anything that's in the ground? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, like, function as a society. I get that part, but, like... 
See, Yikes. at least Oregon's ghost towns, it's all like gold and silver mining, which kind of died off fast. And then we're just left and with... And didn't poison everybody. <laughs> correct. It's just a bunch of prospectors in their overalls and shit, just getting down in some rivers. <laughs> Panning for gold. Um, also, technically, Antelope, Oregon was considered a ghost town for a little while. Did it spring back up? Like an antelope? It, um, well, it was uh, generally taken over by the Rajneeshis. Oh, oh, shit, yeah. Which are their own episode. Oh, um, God, yeah. And then the Rajneeshis left, and then the people in the uh, the town nearby uh, turned it into a Christian camp. It's <laughs> just one big fuck you to the Bhagwan. Look, man. I mean, I get it. He was kind of a dick. Well, no, it's not even that. Like, I fall mostly on the side of the Rajneeshis, except for the whole act of bioterrorism that Sheila decided was, like, a chill thing. Um, but no, the, the people nearby were just straight up shitty to them. Also, like, the white-ass people in the surrounding area don't even have much of a claim over that because it's also on an Indian reservation. Well, I mean... So, I feel like that holds for all of the country, but... You know, maybe take it the fuck up with the, you know, indigenous people at the Warm Springs <laughs> Reservation, like... I did, like, the uh, documentary now um, parody <laughs> of that, where they're like, the Native Americans on this land wouldn't have let that... wouldn't have let it been taken away from them if we won't leave either. Oh! <laughs> it's like, that yeah. distills it down very perfectly. Yeah. I, I botched you know, the line, antelopes. but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, antelope's nothing special, but it, it does have a uh, storied past. Actually, I think one of the guys that I used to work with, uh, well, I worked in the same office. He did restaurant supply, um, but they supplied stuff to the, uh, the Rajneeshis. Ah. Yeah. Good times. And my grandma has an in-person sighting of him. In his, his little car. Oh, the Bhagwan? Yeah. I don't think any of his cars were little. Weren't like the Rolls Royces? Like They were Rolls Royces, yes. Yeah. Those are boats of cards. Uh, you should hear my grandma go on about how much of a bitch Sheila was. <laughs> I'm. Next time you go home for a holiday, get her started and just like voice memo <laughs> it. I would love to hear it. Yeah, she's not popular. Sheila, my grandma, is very popular. <laughs> I'm sure your grandma's lovely. She's great. Well, I learned a lot, mostly mining bad. That that was my takeaway from all this research. It's not where I wanted the episode to go originally. I was like, okay, I'm going to do like two mining towns and then look for other stuff. They're all mining towns. But they're all mining towns. All the really interesting ones are mining towns. I mean, I guess, yeah, there are some ghost towns that aren't there because of like war and stuff. But it, as far as like the U.S. goes... Mining it's towns. mining. Yeah. Uh, or else it's just like people live there and now they don't anymore. And it's like, I can't really tell a story about this one. So, uh. yeah. I mean, the mining towns make sense because that is something that will eventually like go away. Because, like, if you live in a logging town, like, you can plant more trees. But if you live in a mining town, like, you can't plant more copper. No, like, you got to wait a couple million years for that to 
come yeah, back. Yeah, like you can clear out a mine and then the town is, you know, useless unless you find some other industry. Which sounds like a lot of work, if we're going to be it honest. Does sound like, like when you can just move on to the next, like if you're <laughs> trained in mining and that's what you do, you just go find the next mine. So if you want to tell us about your ghost town, or if you're a ghost who lives in a town, thus making it a ghost town, uh, we are available on Twitter at Afternoonified, uh, Instagram at Afternoonified, Facebook.com slash GetAfternoonified, GetAfternoonified.com, and uh, that's on the website is also where you can find old episodes, links to our merch, you can donate... Uh, which would be super chill. Give help us money. Fund, help fund Sarah's my trip to Salem. Just a thought. Which we are now officially booking. Yeah. I mean, we have the Lizzie Borden house. Guys, we're going to stay in the Lizzie Borden house. Yeah, it was a weird announcement for me to make. But like, hey, we're going on vacation. <laughs> in eight months. In eight months. Pending flight schedules. Uh, did I list all of the stuff? Remember write, to write, subscribe. Email us. We're at afternoonifiedpod at yeah, gmail.com. Yeah, you would like to correct pronunciations. Uh, just uh-huh. Sarah's pronunciations. Yeah, is it Namibia? Please tell me it's Namibia. It, I mean, that's I'm honestly right. like, I could go look it up right now. I'm too scared to. <laughs> too scared to be proven wrong. <laughs> Because then I'll just have to, like, live with that knowledge when the episode comes out, and I'm not going to have it. And, God willing, when we come back for the next episode, the subject's going to be weird as shit, but it will also not be January, which is historically the busiest and most brain-melting time of work for me, so (laughs) I may be coherent. Maybe. All right, goodbye. Goodbye, we love you. see you there. Hi, Shane Hosey, host of Grim Designs, a podcast about game design and cheating death. Each episode sees me and a friend creating a new analog game from scratch using like deck of cards, some dice, D&D dice, pen and paper, whatever you have lying around the house. And I use those games to play the Grim Reaper and extend my unnaturally long life. That part isn't part of the show. I mean, we, we couldn't get death to sign the waiver, but you can check it out. Part of Sobelow Media. That's Grim Designs, hosted by me, Shane Hosey. Stay safe, everybody. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to sobelowmedia.com. This this is as above, so below.